Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Jordan Younger, your host of the Balanced Blonde Soul on Fire podcast. Here we go deep on all things astrology, awakening, wellness, motherhood, channeling, aliens, and so much more. We have deep conversations. We go to other realms. It's a lot of fun. So stick around. Let's dive on in. I cannot wait to connect. Hello, and welcome back to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Today, I am so honored to have Dr. Russell Kennedy on the podcast. He is the anxiety MD. And ever since I heard him on Mel Robbins' podcast, which I'm not kidding, hundreds of you sent this podcast to me when it first came out on Mel's podcast because it is called The Truth About Anxiety and How to Heal It. And basically the whole topic is everything that you think about anxiety is wrong and everything that he shares will change your life. So basically, Dr. Russell Kennedy is the incredible doctor, neuroscientist, intuitive, somatic healer, just amazing person behind this method of healing anxiety in which anxiety is not something that we just have to live with. It's something that we can heal from. This conversation changed my life. Of course, I had to be selfish and ask him a bunch of questions pertaining to the journey that I'm currently on with anxiety, which many of you know about because I've talked about it in so many episodes. And everything that he said shifted my entire perspective on anxiety. So, I'm going to ask you to do something because the reason I discovered Dr. Russell Kennedy is because of the incredible people in this community who shared Mel Robbins' episode with him, with myself, and shared it just far and wide. It was a very shared episode. So I'm going to ask you to do something. And I never really ask this, but this episode is something that I feel has to be shared. So share it with a friend, share it on your stories if you can. If you have anyone in your life who's suffering from anxiety or any type of mental health struggle, tell them about this episode. If you post it on your stories, I will repost you and I will also enter you into this week's big wellness giveaway. But honestly, 
this is just a passion of mine. I know it's a passion of his as well. We just want to help as many people heal as possible, especially from something as insidious as anxiety, which is a lot worse, by the way, than many of us think it is. I think many people talk about anxiety and think that it's just something like, oh, I'm anxious today. I have a lot of stuff going on, but real true horrible anxiety, which is something that I have dealt with, it can make you feel like you're going crazy. It can make you second guess everything in your life. It can also just put you in the darkest place. And that's something that I really, really want to help people heal from. So please share this episode far and wide. I will be so grateful. Let's make it the most listened to episode on this show because I really, really think it deserves that. And without further ado, we're going to get into this conversation. It's a little longer than usual. And I hope that you can listen to the end because number one, you should listen to the end because it's a really good conversation. But number two, it really helps me as a podcast host when people listen to the end and a lot of people don't. So I've actually started doing that, being more mindful when I listen to other people's podcasts, just kind of like tuning in all the way through. So anyway, here we are. Let's get into this conversation with Dr. Russell Kennedy. I'm so happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Dr. Russell Kennedy. I've become a huge fan ever since I myself started to experience horrible anxiety and panic, which I'm just going to use this episode to also ask you a lot of personal questions for my own personal healing. Please. My listeners know, because I've been really open about Mm. it, but I had a crazy experience with anxiety that started at the end of last year. I was in like a 12-week panic attack that never ended. And although I know that's not possible because my therapist told me how panic attacks work, it would be like one would end and the other would start. And so just all the time. And this started, I did six sessions of ketamine therapy at the end of last year. And I love psychedelics for healing, but this was too much for me. And six sessions in three weeks, it brought up childhood traumas, repressed memories that I didn't know existed. I thought I had the best memory in the world. I remember everything. So I thought, Mm -hmm. I remember what I wore on the first day of kindergarten. But then I had these repressed traumatic big T trauma memories that threw me. I've never felt so unsafe in my life. So we're just getting right into it. Yeah, like, well, let's for, go. Let's yeah, go what for do you, it. What do yeah, you have to say sure. about all this? Okay, well, I mean, basically I trained as a medical doctor and a neuroscientist. And I suffered myself with crippling anxiety for a very, very long time. And I tried every type of therapy, CBT, ACT, LMNOP, just every therapy that there is. Mm-hmm. And nothing really seemed to help me. So I delved into psychedelics as well. I didn't have a, a great experience either. With, with psychedelics, I found that it, it brought up a whole lot of old trauma. And to do, you know, six episodes in three weeks or th- six doses in three weeks is just way too much. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just way too much. Because, you know, the way the nervous system rewires itself, it's gradual, you know? So we have this cortical brain, this part of us that thinks and understands language. And then we have this subcortical brain, the lower part of our brain that kind of controls our body. And the pons, the medulla, the amygdala people have heard of for sure. None of those things understand language. Mm -hmm. So why are we trying to use language to heal these things? Now, it'll help. 
for sure. But when you want to heal something, you have to go to the root cause and you also have to do it slowly. Like the nervous system doesn't wire itself very quickly. So especially if you have trauma, especially if you have old patterns of behavior and patterns of behavior that were say maladaptive, but helped you as a child, like OCD, eating disorders, this kind of stuff. This is the stuff that we gain some sense of security and control from because although it hurts us, we know it. It's like that t-shirt that says, I'm in my own little world, but it's okay. They know me here, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So it's just, it's understanding what your patterns are and the fact that we have to change those patterns, both cortically, both through language and subcortically through feeling. And that's how we actually heal from anxiety is, is changing the feeling, not so much changing the thinking. Changing the thinking will help. But if you only change the thinking, you're always going to be treading water. I've seen that on my healing journey this year, because when I started to have these panic attacks 24-7, I thought I was going crazy. Mm -hmm. So my only rational response to this feeling after all the ketamine, and I know that it rewires your brain and all these things, was I have flipped something in my brain. So now I'm just going to go insane. And I'm never going to be well, and I'm never going to be able to be a regular mom or human. And so that fear, which was all in the mind, but also in the body, because it was like racing heart. It was like my throat would close up. My stomach would be in knots. I couldn't eat for months. I just believed in the mind this is true, even though so many people from therapists to my family were telling me it's not true. Right. You're completely sane, I promise. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that that people that are going insane don't question their sanity. (laughs) I know. That's what my therapist always told me. She's like, I promise, Uh, because uh, you're so aware and asking this question, you're sane. Yeah. I'm like, are you sure? I don't think so. So to give you a little more context, and then I have like a bunch of other questions for you, but just on this same subject, when the repressed memories came back up, something that it brought me back to was as a child, I did have obsessive compulsive tendencies like there's going to be fires there's going to be kidnapping like just all this stuff and so even though it was different fears as an adult it wasn't the fires or whatever it was like I can't function I'm insane I'm not going to be able to do my podcast I'm going to have to quit my career like those fears yeah and this is all left hemisphere stuff so the brain is a meaning making make sense machine Mm -hmm. so if your body is full of this alarm your brain has to do something about that, especially the left hemisphere. It wants to know. So it will make up stories that are consistent with how you feel. So if you feel crazy, you're going to say, okay, well, you're going to be crazy for the rest of your life. And there is something in neuroscience we call the recency bias. And the recency bias is how I feel now is how I project I'm going to feel forever. So we don't really get a chance to see the forest for the trees. We don't get a chance to see this too shall pass We just feel the way we're feeling at that point. And unfortunately, the way we're wired as human beings is that when we feel that way, there's a part of us that thinks this is never going to end. And it always ends. It -hmm. always ends. So it's just realizing that your left hemisphere is going to go a bit nuts when you've got this alarm in your body. Now, did you have an absence from your parents before the age of five? Like, were you separated from your mom or your dad for any length of time when you were a child? Not really. That you know I mean, they would travel, you know, for maybe like... 10 days, but I had a nanny who was kind of like a third parent. So I always felt really safe, you know, with either like one of the three of them. I don't think it was that 
No, I no, mean, maybe. We always try want to go back and see, okay, what was it? What was mm-hmm. it? Now, one of the things that I, I talk about with people is people will say, you know, my childhood was great. You know, my parents are good. They're still together, that kind of thing. And I'd say, well, did you have an absence from your parents? Like they go back and say, oh yeah, you know what? My mother went to the hospital when I was two and she was in there for six weeks because she had complications, Mm -hmm. right? So being apart from your mother is very hard for a child's nervous system. 80% of your brain's development occurs before the age of five years old. So if you have a significant separation from a parent, so even though you had a nanny, and I'm not saying that this is it, Mm -hmm. but I'm just saying when you have a separation from your mother specifically before the age of five, and that separation is longer than kind of a weekend, two or three days, that can actually steep your nervous system because you were probably born sensitive anyway, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's Definitely. part of your... Mm-hmm. So sensitive kids basically are a lot more at risk of developing OCD, eating disorders, personality mm-hmm. issues, all that kind of stuff because their left hemisphere is looking for a reason to make them feel better. So we get used to sliding into our brain, sliding into our thinking, because as a child, we're kind of helpless and powerless. You know, our parents kind of decide what's going to happen. And then we kind of, you know, have to go along with it. So a lot of times when you're anxious today, you're actually in the throwback because the amygdala has no sense of time. That fear sort of detecting, you know, a nucleus in the brain called the amygdala has no sense of time. So when you go back to a certain point, say abandonment was your issue, and now your husband's going away on a business trip for a week. Even though consciously, you know, hey, you know, he's going to be back. He loves me. Everything's okay. Unconsciously, that will still come up. That old background alarm will still come up. And you'll be much more likely to go into like a, an anxiety phase because that's your old trauma and it gets reignited. And so often we are upset with our parent or our child or whatever. And it's really not them. It's basically mm-hmm. a just like when. And I ask that to clients or patients all the time. It's like, okay, just like when? When did it feel like this when mm. you were a child? Wow. Okay, if you're anything like me, then skincare can be incredibly confusing. With all the complicated beauty jargon, it can seem nearly impossible to figure out what's actually best for your skin. Everybody's skin is so different, by the way, which is pretty obvious, and you don't need to figure it out by yourself. You can shop with confidence with The Inky List. The Inky List is an award-winning, science-backed skincare brand that has the right ingredients at an affordable price. It will also get you the results that you're looking for. Whether it's targeting acne, reducing fine lines, or boosting hydration, they create a unique skincare routine that really works for you. And if you don't know where to start, your first stop should be their online skincare quiz. They'll answer all your questions, like if you really need a toner, what all these types of acids are, if you need a moisturizer, Retin-A, vitamin C, and you can get all of this for under $30. They also have a brand new product that'll make your lips fuller. It's amazing. Right now, the Inky List is offering our listeners 20% off of their purchase with promo code BALANCED. Go to the Inky List, spelled I-N-K-E-Y, and use promo code BALANCED for 20% off your order. 
That is theinkylist.com, promo code balanced. Enjoy. Did you know that you can tell the difference between a laboratory-grown diamond and a natural diamond? Laboratory-grown diamonds are mass-produced in factories in just a few weeks, and they're easily detected due to their distinct patterns. On the other hand, natural diamonds are over a billion years old, and they support the livelihoods of over 10 million people worldwide. The positive impact of natural diamonds is widespread. Around 80% of the value of every rough diamond remains in local communities and supports infrastructure, healthcare, education, and environmental protection. So next time you're thinking of celebrating a special moment in your life, remember that your natural diamond also protects vulnerable wildlife species and brings prosperity to many less fortunate communities around the world. For more information, visit naturaldiamonds.com. Hi, friends. I'm Cameron Rogers, host of Freckled Foodie and Friends podcast, which is now on Dear Media. Are you wondering what just happened to your life after having a baby or struggling with your mental health during postpartum? That was me just a few months ago. Are you working on healing your relationship with yourself, your body, and or food? Same. We are all on a journey to self-love and acceptance, and I'm right there with you. That's what Freckled Foodie and Friends is all about, reminding you that no matter what, you are not alone. Make sure to tune in for season five, launching with Dear Media on November 9th, and subscribe to listen to new episodes every Wednesday morning. Okay, so then as a mother mm-hmm. now, would you recommend not? I mean, obviously, I'm not going to like leave Atticus, my son, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. But I mean, if my husband and I wanted to go to Europe and he stays with my parents who yeah. are like he's so close to, is that not good? It depends on how sensitive Atticus is. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it depends on how bonded, you know, he is to both parents. Because usually if one parent goes, the other parent ideally before the age of five should stay. Oh, wow. You know, I did a lot of work with Gordon Neufeld, who's kind of like my developmental psychology mentor. And he talks about that, you know, before the age of five, 80% of your brain development occurs and absences from a parent, even though they're with grandparents, even though they're with people that they love, can still cause some problems. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to freak people out, Mm -hmm. you know, because what's going to happen is, oh, you know, I left my child when they were two and it was like, it's not every child, but if Mm -hmm. your child is really sensitive, you have to be really careful about leaving them, especially if you're the mom for the first five years anyway. Wow. Yeah. I'm, my brain is going a million it miles can, a second. It can cause long-term problems. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that so far, mm-hmm. if I've been gone, my husband's been there. Yeah. And if he's been gone, I've been there. But, you know, we're thinking about the future and yeah. more kids. And do we travel together for a little while, like yeah. before then? But this is so good to know yeah. and for anybody listening who either is a parent or maybe was left as a child mm-hmm. for longer than a weekend. A lot of us are sensitive who listen oh, to this yeah. podcast, yeah. but some of us are so highly sensitive and I'm one of those people. So am I. And yeah. so is my daughter, Leandra, who's with me today. Yeah, I know. I'm so yeah. happy that she's yeah. here. Yeah. You're so lucky that your dad knows all this stuff. So I want to hear about you. How did you get into this work? Well, I was raised by parents. My mother was a registered nurse and very anxious. My father was a schizophrenic. You know, he would go off the rails about every six to 18 months. 
psychotic, wind up in the hospital, that kind of thing. So I learned as a child that life isn't safe. Mm-hmm. Life isn't stable. You know, there's chaos there. And part of me recreated that chaos because part of what we'll do as adults is we'll recreate our childhood unconsciously. So this is why in my practice, I would see women who would pick alcoholic partners and they had an alcoholic father. Not all the time. You know, what we do as children is we equate familiarity with security. So if your parents were yelling at each other all the time, there's part of your brain, and Freud called this the repetition compulsion, where you equate your parents yelling at each other with some form of security because that Mm -hmm. was normal. So when you hear people kind of yelling, there is a sense that you gravitate towards that or you go the other way. It's like, I, I can't stand that kind of stuff too. So it's really understanding that we are molded as children. And if you're sensitive, you're kind of double molded at that point because you take in this, whatever's familiar to you as a child and you create it in your adult. So I grew up with a a mother who's quite nervous and anxious, wonderful mother other than that, you know, good provider. She was the one that had to sort of put food on the table because my dad was psychotic Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And what happened with me is that that created this place in me that I wasn't safe. The other thing that happened is I felt as I got older, you know, six, seven, eight years old, it's like, I have to look after mom Mm -hmm. or I have to look after dad. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the oldest boy in the family. I have one brother. So this created this thing where I got very, very good at reading both parents and, you know, people pleasing, all that kind of stuff, because if they weren't safe, I wasn't safe. So I sort of released my own feeling of things or my own need to be my own self and gravitated towards this people pleasing or being able to read or being an empath or whatever. Not crazy about that term, but it's just one of those things where I think you just learn how to read other people very, very well. And the problem with that is the better that you learn to read other people, the less you learn to read yourself. And that becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And for me, the other thing that was really compounded in matters is that I really love my dad. My dad, when he was normal, was great, funny, smart, silly. He was great. And about every six to 18 months, he would go psychotic. So I learned as a child, hey, don't trust this because this is all going to get taken away from you. Don't trust love because it's going to hurt so much when it gets pulled away from you. So I learned, don't go too deep into love because it's going to hurt you. And mm-hmm. there is only love and fear in the universe. That's it. Everything is either love or fear. So the more you, you fill up with fear, the more love you push out. Mm-hmm. But the, the other side is the more love you can push in for yourself and for others, the more fear you can push out. And that's basically how you heal from anxiety is you learn how to love that younger wounded part of yourself and see their patterns and just be compassionate towards them rather than what I call jabs, judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame. Because mm-hmm. when we're younger, we experience a trauma that's too much for us to bear. Parents get divorced, we're abused. And we can't understand how to deal with that. So what we do, and Freud again, I keep quoting him a little bit, you push it down, you repress it. So it gets pushed down into your unconscious mind, out of the conscious mind into the unconscious. And the body keeps the score. So the body is a representation of your unconscious mind. So if your unconscious mind has all these wounds in it, which is basically what you unearth when you did ketamine, it comes out in the body. Yeah. So why aren't we using the body to kind of heal the mind? And that's what I was saying earlier. If we don't actually access the body and how this feels, that is our access to our younger self. So when you feel anxious, this is what I say to everybody, when you feel anxious, you're really alarmed. 
that's what's happening in your system. You have a physiological and psychological alarm going on and it's from the younger version of you. So where do you feel that? Do you feel it in your throat? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel it in your belly? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it icy? Is it sharp? Is it dull? Does it have a color? Does it have a shape? Is it deep? Is it superficial? Where is this? Because this wounding, this alarm that's in your system, I believe is a representative of your younger self that's asking for your attention. It's mm -hmm. asking to be seen, heard, loved, and protected now in a way that it wasn't back then. And you're not a child anymore. So we don't have to be victims anymore. That's the other thing about being a victim is that everybody who's anxious feels like a victim. And when you feel like a victim, your brain secretes norepinephrine, which basically stresses your brain out. And it also creates cortisol from your adrenals, from your kidneys, above your kidneys. And that fires your whole system up into survival mode. Mm -hmm. When you go into survival mode, you paralyze the prefrontal cortex. You paralyze the part of your brain that does your rational thought. So not only do you start making up more stories about fear and anxiety and worries, and I'm, I'm never going to be normal again, I'm never going to be doing my podcast again, but the part of your brain that would say, hey, these worries, they're not actually that real, is paralyzed. So you mm. get double whammy. Wow. One is you make more threat. Mm -hmm. And two, the part of your brain that would tell you that this threat isn't really that much to worry about is shut off. And that's what creates this snowball. Mm -hmm. So that's when you go worse and worse and worse. And what we do is we try and fix that with thinking. And we really have to use thinking and feeling. So find it in your body. When you feel anxious, or what I like to call alarm, when you feel alarmed, search your body, get out of your head. You're not going to solve a feeling problem with a thinking solution. So it's a matter of going into your body, finding that place in you and seeing it as your younger self and showing that part of you that they're seen, heard, loved, and protected. And you're not going to judge, abandon, blame, and shame them anymore. So going back to what I was saying earlier, you experience a trauma that's too much to bear. Mm -hmm. Your conscious mind pushes it down into the unconscious, which offloads it into your body. And then it stays in your body for the rest of your life. Unless you deal with it. And this is what I mean about bringing it up, finding that place in you, because that is the younger you. That is the younger Jordan. Mm -hmm. that, that is the part of you that needed more love and attention than what you got. Yeah. Wow. So how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Like for people who are listening, who have had significant trauma, right. want to connect to their younger self, what are some tools? Well, one of them is psychedelics, but that's kind of like hitting an ant with a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty major. <laughs> that's such you know? a good, that's exactly. such a good analogy. That's, I like using that term mm -hmm. quite a bit. I mean, I've hit a lot of ants with sledgehammers yeah. because I've done ayahuasca, ketamine, hero's dose of psilocybin. Yeah. Some have been really positive and some have been extremely traumatic. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was telling myself I've done too much to my brain. So I must have turned on some kind of schizophrenia, you know, thing, mm -hmm. which also, like just a tangent, did you ever have a fear that because it runs in your family or because your father had schizophrenia that you would have that? Of course, that's a brilliant question. And that's basically, I think, why I developed such severe anxiety mm -hmm. is because from the time I was 16 years old, I, was, I would study schizophrenia. You know, there, it's becoming a doctor wasn't a, a big stretch for me. It was mm -hmm. it's pretty obvious that I was going to try and figure this out. So one of the worries that I had was becoming schizophrenic and that's what caused a tremendous amount of anxiety for me because I saw, you know, my dad go into the psychiatric intensive care. I saw, eventually committed suicide. There were so many things about my dad that were so traumatic and like on the flip side, but I loved him very much. Mm -hmm. So it was this, you know, push pull all the time. So it was understanding that I have to really 
find myself. So I, you know, I said, okay, well, if you don't have schizophrenia by 25, you're probably not going to get it. Most people with schizophrenia will show up before 25. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then it was 30. It's like, if you don't show up by 30, you're going to, and then it was 35. It's like, Uh okay, I got 35. It's like, okay, I I think I, I think I dodged that bullet. Plus I went through med school, you know, in my twenties as well. So it was kind of like, if you can make it through med school and not go schizophrenic, then you're probably not going to, Mm -hmm. but I've always pushed myself too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's one of those things that I think pushing yourself too hard just leads you into anxiety. And pushing yourself too hard is often a sign of anxiety because you're always keeping yourself so busy yeah. that you don't have a chance to settle into yourself and actually allow yourself to feel the pain mm-hmm. of those old wounds. And if you've got to feel it to heal it. So if you don't allow yourself to feel that pain and go through it, you're not going to heal it. Now, there's a proviso to that. If you've had severe emotional, physical, sexual abuse, you can't do this on your own. Like you need someone to help. And that's why I really suggest like internal family systems therapy or somatic experiencing or one of these therapies that really focuses on the body more than the mind. And you need to ground yourself in your body first because my wife, Cynthia, is a somatic trauma therapist as well. And she said to me something the other day that really stuck with me. She said, you know, cognitive therapies appear to work quite quickly, actually changing your thoughts does work, but it doesn't last because there's nothing to root into it. Now you root into your body. That's how you learn these things and settle into your body so that you know that they're safe. So somatic therapies take longer, mm-hmm. you know, and if therapy's 150, $200 an hour, somatic therapy takes a while, mm-hmm. but it also provides you with a grounding that these cognitive therapies can now sink into and create long lasting healing. So I see a lot of people go through therapy and they have a therapist and they, they go for six months. It's like, oh, I feel so much better because you've been having these heart-to-heart chats every week, but you're really not actually changing the root cause of the issue. You're just changing how you think about it. Mm-hmm. So it's really learning to do both. So that's what my book, Anxiety Rx, is all about is one of the things in there is about the ABCs. So aware, what are the patterns that you have when you get anxious or alarmed? For me, I start worrying about my health. As a medical doctor, uh, I don't get the simple diseases. I get the most complicated diseases there are. Uh-huh. And when I graduated from med school, I won the award for knowing the most diseases wow. out of all. The, yeah, because I had all those diseases. That's mm-hmm. why. Because you, you know? really did yeah. or you I, thought you did? No, I thought I did. Oh, of course, right. I had, exactly. med- I had huge medical students disease uh-huh. for sure. <laughs> so it was like they would say, oh, what's the heliotrope rash? And I said, well, that's dermatomyositis, an early sign of dermatomyositis. So it was like I knew all these things. But it's not because I was some gifted medical student. It's because I believed at one point in time I had all these things. Yeah. So it's really understanding that this thing that we call anxiety of the mind is really a state of alarm in your body. And that mm-hmm. alarm in your body is your younger self. And sometimes as a medical doctor and a neuroscientist, I want to have a seizure because this sounds so woo. It just sounds so out there. But I tried every therapy for 30 plus years. And the only thing that really made a huge difference for me was somatic therapy, internal family systems, and going back and finding that younger version of me. That's, that's basically how I healed instead of just coped. Science will help us, like learning the physiological side. Huberman is wonderful for that, you know, giving us the science-based knowledge of, of how these things work in the body. But we're mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. So we physicians are good at mind and to some extent body as well but we're not good at spirit. <laughs> That's true. So I'm sure you ran into a bunch of medical doctors who just didn't understand. Yeah. I mean, that was does. my whole life yeah. pretty much. Because before anxiety, I had chronic Lyme disease, all the autoimmune conditions, 
any weird chronic ailment I have had. I didn't just think I like I really had it like rashes all over my face. My lips blew up for like two years when I was pregnant and after I mean, really weird things. Yeah. And I think it's a very highly sensitive body. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really connected to the spiritual. Yeah. I mean, this is a very spiritual podcast. So nothing that you say would sound woo-woo to right. us. Let's talk about Karma Water, my favorite beverage out there. I have one every single day. You've probably seen it on my Instagram. So the active ingredients found in pre-mixed vitamin drinks and kombuchas diminish sharply over time. But Karma's unique push cap protects vitamins and nutrients until you're ready to drink them, ensuring that you get the full nutritional benefits. Karma's new hydration kits combine everything I love about the brand's ready-to-drink line of functional waters with an enhanced level of convenience and customization. Each kit comes with a four-week supply of Karma push caps that can be fully customized, and Karma designed a new BPA-free reusable bottle specifically designed for its patented push cap. Customers can also choose from a combination of Karma's three existing functional lines, which is Karma Wellness Water, Karma Probiotic Water, and Karma CBD Water. I am definitely a fan of the wellness water and the probiotic water. I've had a lot of stomach issues lately, so I've really been upping my probiotics, and I highly recommend Visit drinkkarma.com slash balance for 15% off and free shipping on your first order. That's D-R-I-N-K-K-A-R-M-A.com slash B-A-L-A-N-C-E-D for 15% off and free shipping on your first order. Okay, so let's talk about our cycles. I have had such an interesting time ever since having a baby with my period. Like my period has been heavier. It's been more uncomfortable. I've had cramps for the first time in my life. And basically, so many people experience life-disrupting symptoms when we're on our period. And we're told it's just a normal part of having a menstrual cycle. But what I am loving right now is Cycle Balance from the brand Elix. I am such a fan. I took a personalized test on their website where basically they came up with this perfect cycle balancing formula just for me. And they do that for every single person who orders from them. So unlike painkillers and birth control, Elix Cycle Balance doesn't just mask the pain. It targets the root cause of your symptoms by correcting your unique hormone imbalances. They use 100% organic herbs, and they combine traditional Chinese medicine with modern clinical research to create personalized organic formulas that are tailored to each and every person's body. They improve 15 of the most common period symptoms like cramps, bloating, heavy bleeding, hormonal acne, anxiety, fatigue, and more. And of course, we have a special deal for you. So if you're tired of living your life around your period or looking for a healthier, more natural way of relieving your period pain, 
Go to elixhealing.com and take the health assessment today and get 20% off the first order of your personalized cycle balance formula with the code BALANCED. Enjoy. What kind of spiritual techniques and things do you feel help to incorporate? I mean, you said yeah. the somatic therapy and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's anything specific. You know, I think it's really making that intention because what intention does is it takes the conscious mind, what you want to get better in your life, and it actually provides a route into the unconscious mind. So when you intend to do something, you're actually giving that unconscious mind a direction. It may not understand the language of it, but it certainly understands the meaning behind what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So if your intention is to find that younger version of you, and I usually tell people, look, when you feel anxious or what I like to call alarmed, scan your body, mm -hmm. look for the alarm in your body because that's where it is. That's what you need to find. And some people like it's in their throat. You know, I see a lot of women who had a narcissistic mom or a mom that was like, oh, you're gaining some weight. You know, you better watch that. You know, they have a lot of alarm in their throat often, not always, but that's usually a lot of times where it shows up. So it's like, okay, find that alarm in your throat. Where is it? Is it, is it deep? You know, does it have a color? Is it, what size is it? You know, let's find that. It's really drill down into it. There's a part of our brain called the insula and the insula is deep inside of our brain. And it's kind of like the way station between the mind and the body and the body and the mind. So it kind of translates what the mind is saying to the body and what the body is saying to the mind. Now, it also, I believe, holds an emotional signature of our pain. So if we were left as a child or if we were abused as a child, I believe that insula encodes this feeling in the body. And that feeling in the body at five, when your mom was yelling at you, is the same feeling you have now when you're in a grocery store and you hear across the aisle someone else yelling at someone else. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. So your body will feel exactly the same way through this part of our brain called the anterior insula. So it creates this emotional signature of pain. And I believe that when we go into these anxious phases, we feel like we did when we were 5, 10, 12, 15 years old. So it's like finding that 5, 10, 15 year old and going, hey, you know, even if you have a picture of yourself at that age, put it up beside your bathroom mirror and say, hey, I've got you. Now, the problem, the reason why people are anxious is because ultimately it's a mind-body disconnect for one. And it's also a disconnect between your adult self and your child self. Now, I'm going to say that again because it's really important. So anxiety is a mind-body disconnect. That's why exercise, yoga, all that stuff helps it. It's also an adult self, child self disconnect. So the adult in you doesn't want to go back to the child because the child holds all your pain. And the child is expecting the adult to come and save them, but they never do. The child is like, okay, well, I'm going to withdraw because you're not looking after me. Mm -hmm. And the adult's like, well, I don't want to go back and visit that bullying, that shame, that neglect, whatever. I don't want to go back there. And that separation creates a tremendous amount of alarm in our system. It also creates that inner critic in us as well. So when we're a child and we have a trauma that's too much for us to bear, we start looking at ourselves like we're the problem. And there's a great saying that says when you abuse, neglect, or abandon a child, the child doesn't stop loving the parent, they stop loving themselves, mm -hmm. right? So when we start loving ourselves, that left hemisphere in our brain goes, well, what's wrong with me? 
And then you start judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming that child. So if you're bullied, there's part of you that actually agrees with your bullies. Well, mm -hmm. maybe they're right. You know, maybe my nose is too big. Maybe my eyes are too close together. Maybe there is something wrong with me. And that starts the inner critic. And the inner critic feeds the alarm and the alarm feeds the inner critic. So that gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you become 5, 10, 15 years old. And by the time we're 20, 21 years old, that voice has become very, very strong. Mm -hmm. And we lose our authentic self in this voice. And we start believing that we are this voice. And that separation, while we're in that separation, we can never heal from anxiety. Anxiety is a, a mind-body disconnect, and it's an adult self-child self-disconnect. So as we bring back the mind and the body, you know, getting into breathing, doing rituals, meditating, whatever we're doing, and we start paying attention to that younger version of ourselves. That's how we heal it permanently. You can feel better by changing your thoughts, absolutely doing affirmations, like we're in LA, and I was just <laughs> joking with Leander all weekend. It's like, put your, make a little sort of curve in your tongue at the bottom and go, I'll, it's like ally, or an yeah. ally, or an ally. <laughs> we we're not the an, Valley Girls, you know, yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, up in Victoria, British Columbia, you would say, are you going to LA? It's like, yes, we're going to LA. But when you're down here, it's like ally, or an ally. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, it's like, so you know, because I did stand-up comedy for 10 years. Oh, wow. So, you know, I toured Canada and that kind of stuff with Yuck Yucks. And That's so cool. It was fun. You know, it was fun. And it was it was part of exercising that kind of right hemisphere, that analytical part of our brain. Mm -hmm. Because we worriers get really caught up in that left hemisphere. We get really caught up in making sense of how our body feels. Mm -hmm. And usually your left hemisphere is not going to make stories about kittens, puppies, and picnics, you know, mm -hmm. when you're alarmed. It's going to make up stories like, Oh my God, is, is my partner going to leave me? Oh my God, am I going crazy? Am I ever going to do my podcast mm -hmm. again? You know, we're going to go through all these things. And then because we made them up, we believe them. Yeah. Because we wow. made the stories, mm -hmm. right? So they, they get grandfathered in, in this way that we believe the stories because we made them up and we made them in response to this alarm energy that's been sitting in our body for, since we were children. Wow. So it makes perfect sense. So it just, it creates this loop of anxiety in the mind which is making sense of the alarm in the body. And then when we believe those anxieties, the alarm gets worse. And then when the alarm gets worse, we paralyze our prefrontal cortex. We, like I said earlier, we paralyze that part of our brain that would say, hey, these worries are nothing to worry about. Yeah. So we get double whammied in that. So the alarm makes the anxiety worse and then the anxiety makes the alarm. Yes. So we get caught in this A alarm anxiety loop. cycle mm -hmm. that I talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you break? How do you start healing from anxiety? Well, you have to break the alarm anxiety cycle. You have to go in and feel the alarm in your body, but don't allow yourself to, to connect thoughts to it because that's, wow. that's how you split the, the cycle apart. That's how you heal. Now that's much easier said than done, but that's how you heal. You break the part, the alarm, you start paying attention to that alarm because it is your younger mm -hmm. self. And then you start seeing that the anxious worries and the anxious thoughts are just your brain trying to make sense of the pain. Wow. So I have this little saying that I, that I call sensation without explanation. So you feel alarmed and you go, okay, I'm just going to have sensation without explanation. Sensation. I'm going to feel the sensation because it's not going to be comfortable, mm -hmm. the alarm, right? So where's the alarm in you, Jordan? I've been doing a lot of talking here. I mean, I'm soaking everything in that you're okay, saying. Sure. I'm taking mental notes. Okay, so I mostly feel it in my chest. Okay. I'll feel it in my throat okay. and in my stomach. Like this whole kind of like central channel sure. will get yeah. very, very tight. Yeah. And there's a reason why that neuroanatomically, but 
we'll go into it now. So where mm-hmm. would you say the strongest alarm is in your system? Probably in my chest. Okay. So you pointed to here. So is it sort of deep in your chest? Is it kind of on the surface? Like, where is it? It feels very deep. It feels like my heart is getting like squeezed. Okay. If you really get into that, like close your eyes for a second and really focus on that sensation and maybe put your hand over that area and just settle in, take your time and just see if you can describe that in as much detail as you can. No rush. Take your time. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully, I don't feel it right now, which is a very good thing okay. compared to earlier this year. But I know that it feels, it just feels like this out of my control, okay. like my body takes over and heart racing, heart clenching. Like I just lose control of my body, my breath. Mm-hmm. And it makes me very disassociated. So I just like leave my body. And what happens when you leave? I... Worry for one, probably. Well, when I leave, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes me feel so out of control. Sure. I remember feeling like my body was here, but I was out here yeah. in the energy and couldn't control myself. So I'd be with people when this is happening and I wouldn't understand how they could like talk <laughs> and just have sure. these like c- control functions over their sure. body. Cause I was like, anything I can do to survive that moment is what I was trying to do. And that's what you're trying to do as a child too. When did you feel abandoned as a child? Something that comes up like when I hear you talking is that my dad was very volatile. So even though we're close now Mm -hmm. and he's a good, I mean, he's a very good father in certain ways. He was so explosive. He was always yelling. So I felt really unsafe. But I didn't feel abandoned Mm because he was there. But yeah, my mom didn't really stick up for me or for herself. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a form of abandonment too. Sure. We have a reactive self and and we have an authentic self. So when your authentic self isn't accepted as a child, if you're, you know, too fat, you know, too loud, whatever it is, if your personality, if you've got a size 12 personality in a size six house, you know, you're going to feel rejected. And then when we feel rejected, we start turning that on ourselves. And then that becomes this sort of inner critic that drives the anxiety. It's really, and the inner critic isn't your enemy. You know, it basically was trying to protect you. So with you, you know, can I take you through a little exercise? Are you okay? Please. To do that? Okay. Mm-hmm. So close your eyes for a second. Just relax your shoulders, relax your jaw, feel your butt in the chair. Maybe put your feet flat on the floor if you can. Let your shoulders drop a little bit. Relax your jaw. <sighs> Maybe let a breath come in and out. You're doing great. So I want you to imagine your dad yelling. And tell me when you have that sense. Mm-hmm. Does that light up that same place in your chest or is it more your throat or your belly? Yeah, it's like my chest and my throat. So see if you can put your hand over that area. When you do that, when you feel sort of like the warmth of your hand, or maybe just make little tiny circles with your hand over that area. Does that soothe it at all? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is you connecting with little Jordan. So this is one of those spiritual practices that's so important to do to connect with yourself. So do you have any judgments on that little girl? 
Like she should have done something more, better, different. No. Okay. So tell her that. I'm telling her in my head. Okay. That's fine. Now, is there also another place kind of in your belly that's sort of lit up right now too? Mm-hmm. Because I can kind of feel that too. So maybe mm-hmm. take your other hand and put it on your belly and the your first hand on your throat. And just make little circles with them. So what you're doing again is you're, you're accessing this anterior insula in your brain that is accessing that old feeling in your body that you had when your dad was yelling. Mm-hmm. And you're changing it just by connecting with it. So this is something I would suggest you do every day. And you don't have to do it for long. It's actually better to do this like three or four times a day for 30 seconds to a minute than it is doing it every day for 10 minutes or something like a meditation. Wow. So how are you right now? I feel like I just entered a whole new room. I mean, okay. it's crazy. Okay. Yeah, I feel good. I feel calm. Yeah. Because what's going to happen when you go in there is she's going to feel heard, mm-hmm. seen and heard in a way that she wasn't back then. So that's how we heal. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I have a fascinating brand for you, which is called Z Biotics. I have been loving it lately. They are the maker of the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. How amazing is that? So they have a pre-alcohol probiotic. And although I don't drink, everyone in my life does. And I was just at a wedding this weekend. So I was passing these out. So your first drink of the night for a better tomorrow would be Z Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic. And it is engineered by a team of PhD microbiologists. It is a probiotic drink that breaks down the byproduct of alcohol, which is responsible for rough mornings after drinking. So to get the best result, make it your first drink of the night before you have any alcohol. And then, of course, drink responsibly, pace yourself, hydrate, and then wake up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. It is kind of amazing that it was invented by PhD scientists. And basically, one of the reasons why I didn't like drinking alcohol was because I just wanted to feel good the day after waking up and drinking. So I know that everybody in my life who has tried it, from my husband to my best friends at this wild wedding weekend that we were at this past weekend, absolutely raved about it. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. So make sure you stock up on Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic before the feast. You'll be thankful you did the next day. Go to zbiotics.com slash balanced to get 15% off your first order when you use the code balanced at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash balanced and use the code balanced at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Okay, let's talk about ShipStation. Something that I wish could be done for me this holiday season would be if someone would just do all of my holiday shopping because the holidays are the busiest time of the year. You don't want to get stuck worrying about shipping orders. So let ShipStation do all the heavy lifting so you or your team can put your time, money, and energy into the more important things in life. 
Plus, when it comes to those inevitable holiday returns, ShipStation automates, recommends, exchanges, and gathers customer feedback. So even if they bought the wrong size or the wrong color of something, they will still have a great experience. Whether you're shipping from your home or from multiple warehouses, ShipStation can increase your holiday profitability. One reason why I love ShipStation is that they have a free trial and a quick setup. And I also love that the shipping rates are lower than everything I paid before I used it. So now that I have merch, even though I don't ship my merch out myself, what I do is I always order a bunch of merch to my house so that I can host giveaways. And since I'm pretty much daily doing giveaways with you guys, I am paying a lot in shipping and I just love what ShipStation has to offer with their lower rates. And I feel like there's a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience. So you guys will appreciate this very much. Let your customers shop risk-free this holiday with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com and use code BALANCED today to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That is ShipStation.com, code BALANCED. Enjoy. I mean, I'm shocked right now because I'm noticing that even before we did that exercise versus now, I feel so much more in my body. Mm. I feel so much more in the room, which is making me realize I still struggle with the disassociating way more than I figured. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that's like a baseline. Like I tend to do that, but I also have been working on that this whole year. So it's just fascinating. Yeah. But it's still it's such a prominent thing. And it will be until it's not. Mm-hmm. So the more you can access this younger version of you, this authentic you, like mm-hmm. the real sensitive Jordan that didn't have to be quiet for her dad, that didn't have to make herself small. Because I have a sense that you had to make yourself quite small in your house. Well, the thing is, I didn't do that. And so, okay, so the so, other way? Yeah. So okay. the, the judgment that I would have on myself, if any, was at the time, things that like my mom would say or my dad were that I was making it worse because I was challenging him. And so rather than having like my mom stand up for me or my dad mm-hmm. apologize, it would always be like, well, you provoked him. Mm. So how does that show up in your day to day life now? They're afraid to provoke people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, probably why I'm such a people pleaser. Yeah. And it's worked for you. Like you've learned how to create this part of you that is getting your needs met Mm -hmm. in perhaps a different way. And I think we all do that. We all develop reactive parts of ourselves that are often very adaptive. Mm -hmm. But again, it takes us away from our authentic self as well. And, you know, you can't go through life in just your authentic self. Like it just Mm -hmm. doesn't happen. And we need a reactive self to kind of show us where our dharma is, where our our life is supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Because the people people that don't have trauma, it's traumatic for them. You know, when you have all the money you need and you always grew up and, and you never really had any sort of troubles or wounds, like the best people are the ones that had trauma when they're younger, but Mm -hmm. their parents or caregivers were able to resolve it at the time because what it teaches your nervous system is that I can be traumatized, but I can still be okay. 
Leandra over there, we, we used to play this game when she was younger called Sea Monster. So she would come into the room, yell out Sea Monster, and me being the aforementioned Sea Monster, which are chasing the damsel around the house. And uh-huh. she would scream. Uh-huh. Like she was in high sympathetic activity, fight or flight. And then like five minutes later, we'd be on the couch just having a, a snuggle and a cuddle. Yeah. And I didn't know it back then. But what I was doing was I was calibrating her nervous system to show her, hey, you know, you can go up to the the high, high, you know, your heart rate's really high, your blood, your blood pressure's up. But you can also in five minutes come right back down to a place where you're, you know, into this sort of loving, warm, parasympathetic place too. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we had that as children. I think it went up and then it just kind of got left there. You know, mm-hmm. my guess is with you, your dad kind of calmed down, you know, and but it was never really resolved or dealt with. It was like, okay, well, we just hope it doesn't you mm-hmm. know, happen again too quickly. And you just learn that your, your sympathetic fight or flight system shuts off very slowly because that was your experience as a child. So when I was, you know, showing Leandra, that you can go into this high fight or flight state and then go into a, a very relaxed, a parasympathetic state within five minutes. For us with trauma, when we grow up with trauma, that's just something that wasn't part of our nervous system. And it's still not. So we will notice that we will get excited or anxious about something. And it takes us a long time to settle down, to be able to eat, to be able to sleep, mm-hmm. to whatever. A lot of it is a throwback from childhood because yeah. it wasn't resolved when we were younger. You know, and our parents, you know, they did the best they could, which is a, a very common saying that kind of irks me a bit. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't the self-realization and the self-examination that there is now, you know, with, with yeah. adults, mm-hmm. and w- especially with parents. So it's one of those things that, you know, and your parents are operating from their own wounding as well. So they go unconscious, their prefrontal cortex gets shut off. So they start reacting at a very reactive self. And then when you're a reactive parent, you're going to create a reactive child yeah. and, and go back. And every child that's born is going to be more and more reactive. Mm-hmm. Typically, there's a great saying that says, you know, the trauma and drama of a family will land squarely in the heart of its most sensitive child. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of families I see where one child is, you know, wired and really excited about things. And the other one is like, well, whatever, man, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> totally, you know? totally. So, and the one that that holds the problems <laughs> typically is the one that's the most sensitive. Mm-hmm. Well, that was definitely me. And it's also what I call the pattern breaker in the family in a spiritual sense. Sure. Because then we have to transmute all of this trauma, whether it's generational trauma or our own childhood trauma, all of it. And something else I was just thinking is that my dad, he did have that abandonment when he was young. He has a lot of memories One of them being he was left in the hospital by his parents when he was like five. Mm. And they said, we're going to come back tonight and visit you. And they never came and they didn't come for like a week. And then they said that their car broke down. So that was hugely traumatic to him. And then they would leave him a lot at the neighbor's house across the street and say, we'll pick you up before you go to sleep. And then they would never come. So then he would just sit in the front window of the neighbor's house trying to watch and see if his parents were going to come home and they didn't. I mean, he's 77 now and he still talks about this when I ask him. He's such a sensitive person like me Mm. and this shaped his entire personality. Yeah. It's funny, you know, because boys are more sensitive than girls Mm -hmm. and we don't have the same tools of being able to self-soothe as girls Mm -hmm. do. So boys really suffer 
Like they really, really suffer. Mm -hmm. And I'm creating a, a podcast with my friend Nima, who's a retired chiropractor called Manxiety, which is basically oh, anxiety with an M on the front mm -hmm. of it and trying to make men's mental health cool to share. I love you know, that. Which is hard, which is hard because it's it like- to every man that I know. Absolutely. Because it is one of those things that Nima and I are very passionate about mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, men have a much higher suicide rate than women. Wow. Men can't cry. That's yeah. the thing, right? So if you look at how our brain adapts to things, tears are one of the things that allow us to adapt. So your pet still died. You're still getting a divorce. Like nothing in the external world has changed, but there's something about tears that actually change your neurophysiology and your neurochemistry that allow you to kind of go, okay, you know, because after a cry, you're like, okay, well, that's still horrible, mm -hmm. but I feel better because mm -hmm. in your brain starting, you know, it sleeps the other thing too. We're conditioned not to cry from the time we're like two or three years old. So we're actually losing. And I'm not saying that men should just all of a sudden just burst into tears everywhere. <laughs> you know, a lot of times I will tell my male friends or the, my male clients or something like, you don't have to have anyone see you right and like you can just go and do this on your own yeah. there's one thing i call car screaming which is basically you go into the car and this works for women too you can go to the car and if you're just really frustrated right you just go in and you roll up the windows drive to like a quieter area and just start screaming mm -hmm. and it's amazing how often my male friends and clients will say you know and i just the tears just came out because wow. it's so hard for men like bill burr talks about that like, just stuff it down just stuff it uh -huh. down just stuff it down right <laughs> And, and that's what happens, man. Just stuff it down and stuff yeah. it down and stuff it down. And we're good at stuffing it down. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it, it, sound, it sounds like a bit of an oxymoron. We're, we're good at stuffing it down, but there's a price. You know, mm -hmm. that energy, you know, second law of thermodynamics, energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only changed in form. Yeah. So it's in there, you know? Yeah. So, and it's same with women as well, but it's just that energy's in there as a state, like I say, mm -hmm. of, of alarm. Yeah. And unless we start metabolizing that alarm, and doing it slowly, like six episodes of psychedelics in three weeks is, is a bit intense, you know? So intense. Oh my God. Because you don't give yourself a chance to acclimatize to the new brain state, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not surprised that you felt like you were losing your mind. It was a very hard time. Mm. And it also just highlighted to me that I've had anxiety my whole life, yeah. but that I was living and operating like someone who didn't. And I was high functioning or whatever it could be called. So I didn't give it the proper credit or the proper healing yeah. that I was so miserable all the time because I was so anxious. Right. That is so true. Quick question for you sure. about anxiety medication. Sure. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it's very valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need medication. I, I, I don't in any way mean to slag medical doctors. I mean, I think it's a tough job to be a medical mm -hmm. doctor. I think that we kind of assume that we're a bigger part of healthcare than what we really are in reality. I think seeking out alternative forms of, of healthcare is great, but also, you know, medical doctors are wonderful at a lot of things. And, and one of the things that I, I haven't been too crazy about in, is seeing medical doctors, oh, you're just pill pushers. That's all you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the human brain has this compulsion to reduce things to mm -hmm. a, like a little bite-sized package. And one of the things that medical doctors are getting slagged for is like, you're, you're just writing prescriptions. You're just writing prescriptions. Now, that's partly true. I think that that is partly true. I think we, we do get into this position where we overprescribe because medical doctors aren't trained in trauma. Mm -hmm. They're not really trained in things like Lyme disease. That's the thing about Lyme disease is I see a lot of people claim they have Lyme disease when really what they have is childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. Because Lyme disease and childhood trauma have 
the same disparate, strange, seemingly unconnected symptoms. So it's like, and people want to, it's what exactly what I'm saying is that the human brain wants an answer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, this is what it is. No, it's actually childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. There's so many people out there that believe they have Lyme disease and what what they actually have is childhood trauma. Yeah, I've noticed yeah. that connection. Now it's going to make a lot of people, oh, I haven't, I I I've got the oh, test and I did this. We can just wait for the TikTok this. trolls because I've said a lot of things yeah. about Lyme disease and healing and yeah. energetic spirituality and just the mind-body connection. Yeah. A lot of people get it and a lot of people don't because to have a diagnosis means a lot to certain people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, your brain secretes dopamine when you mm-hmm. when you feel like you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Your brain secretes totally. dopamine, and this is basically why people worry mm-hmm. is because worry makes the uncertain a little more certain. Uh-huh. And when we have trauma as children, the thing we hate the most is uncertainty. So if you have a headache and you think, "Oh, I have a brain tumor," it's like a little for about 0.4 of a second, your brain gets this dopamine hit. It's like, "Oh, okay." That makes me feel better. And then it's like, oh my God, I have a brain tumor now. Uh So the cycle just starts over again. Exactly. So that's why we get addicted to worry because Mm -hmm. we do get a little dopamine hit from making the uncertain a little more certain. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's why it's addictive. Yeah. But the thing is that that's not going to help you. Worry does help you in the very short term, but it makes things much worse in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's learning that that worry is a coping strategy. Mm -hmm. Worry is a form of dissociation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can you stay with your body? That's what we were saying earlier. Can you just stay with your body, the the sensation in your body? And if you can't, it's a good sign to get some help. Men and women, get some help. Totally. Wow. So on the note of medication, I went on in the end of January and I had never been on any anxiety medication or SSRI before. However, this was like life or death. This was like, I will do anything. So it taught me a lot of compassion for everyone in Mm. any stage that they're in. And now I'm slowly weaning off of it as of like five days ago. And so it's phenomenal that I'm seeing you today. Are you getting the brain zaps? Kind of. So this was super interesting. So I'm taking it every other day now. How much? What's the dose? 10 milligrams. 10, okay. Which, you know, I've been told is very low, which it's, it's yeah lower, easier to come off of than like a higher dose, mm, right? It depends. Some people have um, a really hard maybe time Maybe not for it. those of us highly sensitive people. So well, I, it's not like a pill that you can cut in half. So that's why I take it every other day right. instead of taking half. So I didn't take it on Thursday night for the first time since okay. January. And everybody told me, you're not going to feel anything at first. It builds up in the system. You'll be fine. Mm. Oh, my God. I woke up with intrusive thoughts, with Mm. raging anxiety, with panic. I started getting muscle cramps. And I'm I'm not trying to scare anybody listening, by the way. I'm just trying to talk about my experience as a highly sensitive person because I was shocked. And so now I'm like five days into it and I'm scared because there's intrusive thoughts and there's the placebo effect of like, what if I'm instantly like doing horrible again? And then there's the real effects. Of course. And it all mixes together, uh-huh. right? And it all puts you into survival mode. And it paralyzes that, you know, rational thinking part of your brain mm-hmm. that would reassure you this too shall pass. We'll be mm-hmm. okay, that kind of thing. And when that part of you gets paralyzed, you get the the trauma full on. So, you know, it might be an idea. I mean, I think that we can get any of the medications into smaller. There are pharmacies that can compound things. Mm-hmm. 
So rather than than skipping a whole day at a time, that's a lot for an SSRI. Like we have to go, typically medical doctors aren't really that well trained in how to withdraw people off medication. Mm -hmm, Totally. They usually withdraw you way, way, way too fast. Yeah. Yeah. The psychiatrist that I spoke to wanted me to just stop taking it just stop taking it. And my functional medicine doctor, who's really not, she's not like a psychiatric doctor at all, but she just knows about sensitive bodies, said, let's not do that. And so that's why I'm doing that every other day. But I kind of feel like it's just throwing, what's what's it called? Throwing paint against the wall or whatever. Yeah. You're not going to get a big dent. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be traumatic. And it depends too much. It affects certain serotonin receptors, like different SSRIs affect. And if you have a lot of those serotonin receptors, it was stimulating mm-hmm. in your brain. When you come off it, you're going to be more sensitive to it, right? So, so the very SSRI that helps you is going to be the hardest one to come off of. Mm-hmm. So I see people that come on and say, you know, I, I took citalopram or Paxil or whatever, and I came off it like that. It didn't bother me, you know, but I also didn't get much of an effect from it. So I would ask you, did you get a good effect? Did it help you? Yes, so okay. much. Okay, so, so that's much. why. Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm-hmm. why. So you have a lot, a preponderance of those particular, there's 12 different serotonin receptors. So the better effect you get from a medication, typically, not always, but the harder it is to come off of. Wow. And the more gradual you have to do it. Yeah. So, okay, so how gradual should I do it? Because nobody has been able to tell me take it every other day for however long. Like I'm just guessing. Yeah. Which is not a great place to be for sure. I would find a place that's if if they compound it Mm -hmm. or, you know, cause and they seem to have everything here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, find a place that, you know, that that drops you maybe, you know, if you're on 10, like see if there's a compounding place that'll put eight, you know, put an eight, but take it every day, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, every two weeks go down by maybe two milligrams. Now I don't have a medical license anymore. So Uh I'm technically going to tell you, this is how I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. I used to have patients that this is what they would do. Mm -hmm. They would get it compounded and they would come off it very, very slowly. So that's what I basically have to say without a medical Mm -hmm. license. Why don't you you have the license anymore? Because I, I just had a crisis of conscience with medicine. I just found that it was, it was treating people with medications that weren't helping them because sometimes I didn't have a problem with antidepressants so much when they, when they didn't work, it's when they did work because Mm -hmm. I would see people that, that I thought could probably work through some of their trauma. But now that they're on the medication, they don't feel anxious anymore, but they don't feel much of anything. Yeah. Right. So the thing is, you're kind of in this no man's land of, I want people to actually go back and and get to the root cause and get past anxiety. Mm -hmm. But you know, once you start taking a medication, that adult self, child self disconnect goes even broader yeah. because it's like, I don't want to go back and see the child in me. And that's why when I talk to doctors or I talk to professionals, I rarely use the term inner child. I'll always use younger self. Mm-hmm. And I find the people that have the most, like, oh, I hate that inner child shit, you know, whatever. I hate that inner child stuff. Those are the people that have the most inner child wounding, Yeah. right? Oh, that makes so much so, sense. And there's so many doctors that you know, became doctors because they had a sick parent, mm-hmm. you know, especially surgeons. The number of surgeons that had a, a parent with cancer is quite high. So wow. it's like we do things as children to kind of adapt to our, our adult situations. 
So it's learning how, like, how best to treat people. And one of the mm -hmm. things that doctors do is we're trained to give a medication. And we want to help as medical doctors. Like, we want to help. So the reason I gave up my, my license was I've always had this ability to see trauma in people, right? Like, that's part of why I do what I do. And I would see trauma in people, and I would know that I only had seven minutes. So I would see, say, a woman that came in with frequent urinary tract infections. Mm -hmm. And I could see, like, my, my spidey sense would tell me this woman's been sexually abused as a child. Right. And that's one of the reasons why she's showing up with all these urinary mm -hmm. tract infections. Now I got seven minutes. Now I can't yeah. say, Hey, did you experience sexual abuse as a child? And especially in my job, you know, when I worked in Victoria, I had my own practice. But when I worked in Vancouver, I was kind of a gun for hire. I would work like, you know, kind of urgent care clinics and that kind of stuff too. So I wouldn't know the patients all that well. So it became very unfulfilling to say the least. Can I would see trauma in people and I couldn't address it. So that's one of the main reasons I got out of medicine. I don't have a license yeah. anymore is because yeah. I just think the knee jerk is when we have seven to 10 minutes with a patient, they come in with severe anxiety or depression. Basically the handbook is you give them an SSRI, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, I, totally. and I think that we're doing people a disservice and kind of dangling them over the gates of hell because we're actually just suspending the pain that they need to actually propel them into yeah. something new. Right now, by the same token, there's suicide. So, you know, medications are really important because if you're at the end of your rope, you don't have the capacity to be able to mm -hmm. go in and deal with that inner child stuff. So for a while, I think medication is a great thing to get mm -hmm. you back into like the, the world again. Exactly. That's kind of the way that it had been proposed to me. Yeah. Like we'll use this as like a cast on a broken arm right. and then we'll slowly get to the root cause. Yep. One more question about that, because I'm so happy that, that I can ask you. If I were to take, let's say I got down to like five milligrams every day yep. and that feels good. Mm -hmm. And if I went lower, I felt really out of control, mm -hmm. just hypothetically. Yep. Do you think that's better for a pregnancy, like the lowest dose that you can get to? Or do you think that it's just, if you're on medication, right. that matters? Well, you know, life's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. You know, so rarely do we have like the perfect situation. Now, if I, if, if you said, well, I got off it, but I was anxious every day, that's not great for the developing fetus yeah. either. Yeah. Right. So if you're on some medication and it's keeping you semi-level mm -hmm. and it's working for you and that kind of stuff, I would say, and this is just my opinion, that being on a sm relatively small dose of medication and being emotionally level is probably then just, you know, doing the the cold plunge, the ice bath plunge, and and just going off it completely and struggling all the way through your pregnancy with emotion. Mm -hmm, so, totally. you know, so that's not great for the developing fetus either. Mm -hmm. So it's really, you know, what have you been given? You know, if you've been given a sensitive system in the first place, you know, you do what you have to do, Jordan, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, ideally it would be best to not be on medication, but if you're not on medication and you're a wreck or, yeah, or you're, you know, it. the baby's feeling all that cortisol and the totally. baby's feeling all that epinephrine. So, you know, it's, it's really a balance. So mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I think women are so guilted out these days about, you know, you know, you shouldn't be doing this it's or you so shouldn't hard. be doing that. And, you know, you, you see these things where it's like, well, you got to drink eight liters of water a day or whatever. That's an exaggeration. But, you know, and then there's some people that say, no, you should basically just sort of keep yourself hydrated on a very slow, steady basis, maybe 1.5 liters a day or whatever. And people will swear by each particular thing. So we're into this place now where we have so much information, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some of them are exactly the opposite of each other. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Totally. Yeah. I just support what anyone chooses to do yeah. because I do believe 
that's what's best for them. Yeah. If they're brave enough, which I think most people, everyone listening is, yeah. to try to get to the root cause, and you still want to lean on medication because it makes your life so much better, yeah. then do it. And take it with intention. With intention. Exactly. Like I, like I take I'm, it and yeah. I tell myself, God is in the medication mm-hmm. or source is in the medication. Yeah. That's why I feel so good now yeah. that we could do a whole episode on no, that. And sure. actually we should, I want to have you on like, as I wean, well, as the next I, time like, I come back to all, do, I will yeah, do Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Finally, I just want to ask you a couple of the rapid fires. Sure. I ask everyone, what is your Zodiac sign? Sagittarius. Oh, when's your birthday? November 29th, 1960. Oh, wow. My son's a Sagittarius. You guys are sensitive. And loyal, independent, like adventurous, all the things. Well, we went to Universal Studios yesterday and we're pretty yeah. adventurous with that uh, mummy ride. I'll tell yeah, you. it sounds like it. I love Sagittarius's. Mm. So, okay. If you could be in a room with three people, living or dead, who would they be? Oh, geez. Kate McKinnon. Because mm-hmm. I love her on Saturday Night Live. I think mm-hmm. she's so talented. Probably Freud. Mm-hmm. Just because he just dove into things so much. And Jordan Peterson. Oh, wow. What a list. Mm -hmm. I love that. Who are your mentors? Gordon Neufeld in developmental psychology and kind of me. You know, it sounds sort of egocentric, but there isn't a whole lot of people doing what I'm doing out there. There's a lot of people that say, you know, you have to find a more spiritual aspect to to life. But I think what happens is that we have to drill down and find that child that's in us. You know, we can't just sort of expect it to sort of just naturally just evolve. Mm-hmm. We have to make that intention to find that younger version of ourselves. So we can say that, you know, be more compassionate to yourself. I would say be more compassionate to that part in your chest and mm-hmm. your throat that hurts every time you hear yelling or every time you think about that yelling. Like find that place, spend some time every day in that place showing little Jordan that she's seen, heard, loved, and protected every day, a number of times a day. The problem is that your ego won't let you do that. Your ego wants to drag you back to what's familiar mm-hmm. all the time. You, your ego isn't there to hurt you, but basically it's it's trying to protect you by keeping you in the same box that you were in when you were a child. Mm-hmm. So it's just make that intention to find that younger self. That's how you heal anxiety. Wow. You can do all these other things. You can take medication. You can do all these, you know, ACT, CBT therapies, that kind of thing. But until you actually find that child in you, see them, hear them, love them, and protect them, that's how you heal instead of just cope. Wow, that's amazing. Mic drop. And where can everybody find you? The Anxiety MD is my mm-hmm. Instagram handle. It's also my website, theanxietymd.com. My book is called Anxiety Rx. I have a mind body prescription, an online course that's $100. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like I, I really have an issue with the business of trauma. So I price this at something that just about everybody can afford. And it's it's hundred dollars. It's not ninety seven dollars. It's not three payments mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like two. If you want to pay two payments of fifty dollars, that's fine. I I just want to get my work mm-hmm. out there. To sort of get people to understand that the current model of understanding and healing anxiety is not working. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's just not. Wow. I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing. It is life changing. When I discovered you on Mel Robbins podcast, when I was really suffering, she's amazing. It was life changing. And so many people sent it to me. So many of my listeners said, this will change your life. This changed my life. So I'm excited that we just did this. And hopefully it'll be sent around in the same way. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate being here. So grateful. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Come say hi on Instagram at The Balance Blonde and tell me what your favorite part of this episode was. 
Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot of your rating and review for a free Soul on Fire yoga ebook. See you next Wednesday. Love you guys. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.